Well, it's good to be back with you all this week uh, in the pulpit here as we purpose to spend some time in the Word together. And so um, if you have your Bibles, you can take them. We're going to go to the book of Psalms, and we're going to look at a psalm in particular today. You can go to Psalm 78. You know, thinking about as the children are leaving, one of the phrases I distinctly remember hearing a number of times with children growing up is, you never let me do anything. And I didn't only hear that. I know as a child, I said that quite a bit also. Oh, mom, dad, you never let me do anything. And it was almost always right on the heels of having been able to do something, but then I encountered a level of restriction or some aspect where my parents said, no, you can't own your own flamethrower or whatever it is. And from that point, it was kind of like, well, then I reverted back into, well, now you're not going to let me do or attempt anything. And what's true of children is that not often true of us as well, in many occasions, with God. You know, that, that God has uh, aspects of freedom that we have, so, much, so many levels of freedom, but then there's other components in that where God is a little bit more restrictive. And we can look on some of those things and say, oh, you know, God, how come you'd say no? Why wouldn't you give me that thing that I'm asking for? It's such a good thing. Um, all of us are guilty of having done that. Israel also did the exact same thing. There were times where God did so many great things for them, but in return, there was sort of a response of, well, you just don't even care. You're not even there for us. You don't really even pay attention to us. And there was a song leader, a guy named Asaph, who purposed, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to sit down with pen and paper and to write a psalm in which he spoke on behalf of God to Israel as a reminder of all the things that God had done for his people. But it was also a reminder of how often the people would forget these things. Whenever I've uh, purposed to go through the Bible, there's been a number of years I've had the chance to read it through cover to cover. And one year in particular, I decided I'm going to try to capture what's being said by taking each chapter when I read it and summarize it with just one word. Do you know how hard that is? To summarize an entire chapter with one word. Well, as I got through the Psalms and went to Psalm 78 in particular, there was a singular word that was very easy to come up with. And the word is remembrances. Because that's what this book is right now, or this chapter in particular. It's a call to remember all of the things that God had done for his people. And then on the negative side, a reminder to his people of how, you know, you haven't always been faithful. But if you're going to move forward and you're going to trust God with what lies in the future, then you've got to be able to look back to build that faith and see how he's been faithful so that you then can walk forward in faithfulness as well. So you can title this Remembrances. I've uh, seen someone else title it from Zoan to Zion because Zoan was sort of the capital of Goshen where Israel was in uh, Egypt. And then Zion, of course, being the promised land. And you just see the whole spectrum of ways that God worked in that time frame. Psalm 78 is the second longest psalm that you have. We are not going to look at the entire chapter today. We're only going to take a few verses for it. And then what I want to do is after we've exposited the chapter, we're going to exposit life. We're going to look at some ways that God has worked in and through this church. And so if you have your Bibles, would you go ahead and stand with me at this time? And I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. Psalm 78. It says, listen, O my people, to my instruction, and incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. 
We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget his works, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Now skip down to verse 11. They forgot his deeds and his miracles that he had shown them. And he wrought wonders before their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made the water stand up like a heap. Then he led them with the cloud by day and all the night with a light of fire. And he split the rocks in the wilderness, and he gave them abundant drink like the ocean depths. And he brought forth streams also from the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. Father in heaven, we pray that these words would resonate within us and that we wouldn't just be a people who merely walk away with some sort of a resolve, but with a remembrance of who you are and what you've done. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So again, this psalm opens with a reminder to us here. Um, God has done these great things, great things amongst his, his people. And as a result, his people are looking, learning to, they can trust him, that he is someone that they can follow after closely. And I find it very interesting how this chapter begins because it starts with this idea of you're going to teach your children. Now remember something, these people that had received this writing, they, had, they were not eyewitnesses to what had happened. Everything that they learned, everything that they were passing on here was something that someone else passed on to them. It went from generation to generation. Can I take a little sidebar here? Speak to parents in particular, grandparents. This is the essence of discipleship. That you take the things that God has shown you, not only through his word, but also through the experiences, through the things that you have gone through. And you recount the stories of how God saw you through these events. You recount the stories of when God told you no. No, I, you can't go that way, and you were disappointed. Or it seemed like he wasn't really going to deliver to you at a particular point. And yet, in the end, you find that he gave you not necessarily what you wanted, but he always gave you exactly what you needed. And you're to remember that. That is the height of discipleship. And Asaph made a point to let his people know, this is what you, you pass on. And let's not forget, Israel, you didn't pick God. You weren't faithful. God chose you. God was the one who looked out for you and saw you. And then one of the ways that they knew they were blessed was what he did for them. He took his word and he revealed himself to them through that word and particularly through the law. And the law was good. The law was meant to show them the character of God and who he is and what he's like and to call them to it. But then he tells them in something in verse 7 here that is key to remember. He said, he gave these things so that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. That's the call. You know, I was reminded of this in particular this week. One of the dangers about preaching, God always makes you live something before you preach. Um, that's why I can't do Job. 
You know, I don't know if I can go through that. But I was reminded this week, too, as I was going through, and I'm, and I'm encountering these difficulties, these obstacles to different things that I'm trying to do. And I feel like, Lord, I feel like these are the things that you want. And as a result, there's aspects of disappointment, some anxieties, worry. Yeah, even the pastor struggles with worry, disappointments, all of these things. We don't have everything licked. And I got challenged. And the way that I got challenged was to be reminded, don't merely try to pray these things away. Sometimes God brings these things into your path because he wants you to lean on him a little bit heavier. I was challenged by someone who said, look at worry and anxiety, not necessarily as your enemies. Look at them as God's servants who are standing in the door saying, you can let me in and I'll wreck this home. Or you can let God in, and he'll set things right and anew. And I was just reminded repeatedly, see those things as the servants of God. And let that be the testimony of how he was faithful. But this is a problem for us to do, isn't it? Everybody say, yeah. Yes, it is. We live in a culture, right, that doesn't say, what have you done for me? It's, what have you done for me lately? And that gets buried into our psyche, and then we turn around and we do the same thing with God. So he's faithful and he's done great things, and then before long we go, but, but what have you done for me lately? Because all I've encountered lately is difficulty. And that is why Thanksgiving is such an important thing for us, to build our gratitude. Because everybody's quick to complain, and we are very slow to come to uh, an aspect of thankfulness with God. Because what do we do? We immediately go to the next problem. Oh, we got that solved. Well, now what? Well, we got that solved. Well, now what? And God is giving us the reminder, look, the problems will continue to come, but you want to have a heart of gratitude. And you get that by remembering who he is and what he's done. In verse 8, it says that by failing to remember God's faithfulness, Israel failed to prepare her heart. Now, Israel, you've heard it referred to in your Bible as the land of milk and honey. But if you've been there, you know it's the land of rocks and dirt. I mean, it's just, that's the whole place is just nothing but rock, it feels like. And so as a result, one of its most precious commodities is water. In fact, when you go there and you visit, you find that the towns that you see listed in Scripture, often they're either next to a river because it's a water source, or they're built up next to a spring because it's a water source. You can't just decide where to build. You had to have the water source in order to build because water is life. And that day when you were traveling, you couldn't just take the shortest distance. You had to follow the water as part of your route. Today, we've got this great thing called interstates, right? And we can get on that, and that's how we can get to the fastest, uh, to get to our destination the fastest. And we plan out, you know, our Chick-fil-A's, you know, along the way that we're going to get in order to get there. But they got to do it based on water. That's their version of the Chick-fil-A. And so as a result, it's easy to see how in verses 11 through 15, you see this theme of water that comes up as God's provision. And you see it in four practices in three situations. In verse 13, you see God took this incredibly rare resource, water, and it was his gift of protection. And the way it was a protection is he used that to provide an exit for the people to walk through the Red Sea in order to escape Pharaoh as he pursued them. And so he created the barrier and a highway in order to, uh, for them to have that escape. And then once they got through, 
water converted into something. It went instead from being something that would rescue God's people, it became an aspect of judgment against the Egyptians. And God used that and destroyed the mightiest army on the planet at that time in that world. So Israel was to remember, God loves you, and he took care of you. And he not only took care of you, he took care of your enemies who were coming after you as well. And he used it by surprising you. He used this incredibly rare resource. And then in verse 14, you see the water now converts into, into the uh, water that we see in the atmosphere to create a cloud. And this, in essence, becomes like a walking GPS for the people. And it gives them direction. This is the way you go. It's just step by step that they follow as they go along. And so they were to remember that God gave them guidance. And for us, do we not have that as well? We don't necessarily have a cloud, but we have the word of God that speaks clearly to us and gives us direction and guidance also. I call it our GPS. It's God's purposeful supervision that we have where we find our purpose in life. We find out who he is and how he's created us and what he would call us to do to live lives that would exalt him. And we also find how to obey him and the blessings that come as a result of that obedience. And then you get to verse 15 and you find there that the rock was split and it was from a rock that water gushed out and it came forth miraculously from a place you don't find water. You don't find it coming out from a rock. And it was meant to give them life and streams and rivers. And they discovered once again, God's the provider of everything that we need. So God would show his power and his love by surprising them using that incredibly rare resource and saying, I can take that which is so thin amongst you. This is so difficult to find, and I can use it in incredible ways of deliverance and guidance and supervision and give you life in and through that. Now, when I think about us, there's both us as Christians, and then there's us as just Blue Ridge Bible Church in particular. And let's not forget, for all of us, we have the amazing gifts that God has provided for us. First and foremost, we find the gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We find through him deliverance from sin and death. And how did God do it? By surprising people. He would take the greatest evil that had ever been accomplished, and that is to take and murder the innocent God-man, Jesus Christ, and he would convert that, turn it around, and accomplish the greatest good that has ever happened in bringing about our salvation through him. And then on top of that, we not only find salvation, he takes the very spirit of the living God, the one that raised Jesus from the dead, and to anybody who would put their trust in him, he puts that spirit within us to abide in us and to live in us and to show us and to guide us through the word of God such that we understand and know more about his life, death, burial, and resurrection. So these are the general things that we have just as churches, all churches. But then let me break it down a little bit further because one of the things we're doing today is we're looking back over the last year. What has God done in and through our church? And a number of you, you've, hopefully you got one of these little infographics uh, when you came in. And on the infographic, I mean, this is our version of the book of Numbers, all right? So when you look in the Old Testament Numbers and you see all the accounting, the numbers are a means of a metric, right? And there's all kinds of things that we see in, in, that are quantifiable that we can measure. Some of the things that I see on here that are really inspiring to me. You see, we had 76 people in this past year who communicated with us that they were new and visiting. And of that, you'll find we had 38 new members. That's almost half 
of the people who came in visiting wound up joining us as a church, and God brought them here. You'll see there are the baptisms. That's always exciting. We've got 21 baptisms, both fully grown adults and young children. But they show new life and people that are ready to be transformed as God does his transforming work. And then we see them continue to grow amongst us. You'll see there's some, a couple of little bulletins there that talk about lifestyles. And the lifestyles that we know God wants us to formulate regarding worship, discipleship, and outreach. And different things he's enabled us to pursue some cases financially help, in other cases just help or serve or attend. And one of the ones that's most exciting to me is you see there we've got 192 official members. We've got 140 different people that are serving in various capacities. And what excites me about that is it's not the 80-20 rule happening here where 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. You have a huge percentage of people that are engaged in doing the work of the ministry because that's a part of the vision God has given us from Ephesians 4, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And to be very candid, sometimes that's harder and it's slower, but it's right. And we see God at work in and through y'all and the ministries that you're doing. In the life groups, 181 out of the 275 people that we have here are involved in these life groups. That's a big deal because the life group is a place where you get to be known. That's our emphasis with you. A place where someone actually, it's kind of like the old cheer song, a place where you can go and somebody knows your name. They know what's going on in your life. And, and you're sharing with them. And you can go deeper with them. Because when you come here, it's easy to just get lost. You know, once you get over about 100, you can just disappear but not here. This is where you are voluntarily coming forward saying, let me be known and let me know you as well. So children, that's another metric. Uh, you can amen me on this. Do we want to impact the next generation? Yes, we do. And we want it to start within our homes, but we want to go beyond our homes. We want to go out there and let people know who God is. And so you can see some of the ways that we're involving and we're being purposeful to engage people in the knowledge of who God is so that they remember because we're teaching them and we're passing it on. And this is where discipleship will occur. And we're being deliberate, more deliberate about doing this with family so it can begin with parents so that we don't necessarily equip a child, send them home and have the parents undo everything that was taught. That we become the complement to what God is doing in and through the home. So all kinds of things that we can look at and we can praise God and say, Lord, we're grateful. It's awesome to see the various ways in which you're at work. But all of us will acknowledge numbers are just a metric, right? And they don't necessarily tell the full story. I think the biggest church in America is apostate preaching the prosperity gospel. So, you know, you can say, well, look, they're huge. Well, you need more. You got to have more information there. And so as a result, what I want to do is bring some people forward and let you hear some of the stories of how they have seen God at work. So I've got four of you. If you would, go ahead and make your way on up here at the stage at this time. Um, different ways that you're going to hear their stories and how God is doing his thing through them. And so um, I'm going to start. Dom Alario. Dom and his wife, Laura, they did something this year that was a little different. And that is they purpose to host 
a life group. And I asked him, to, if he would, to come and just tell y'all briefly about some of the things that they've seen God do in and through that group that they took on a different level of service. Dom. Thank you, Jack. Good morning. My name is Dom Alario, and I live with my wife, three boys, dog, cat, chickens, and shortly here, some sheep and goat in Summit Point, West Virginia. And I won't get into the wildlife. Uh, Laura and I host Life Group at our home on 7 p.m. at uh, Thursdays. It's 7 p.m. on Thursdays in Summit Point for anyone interested. We've been blessed on those nights with not only Mary Bigler's excellent treats, but thought-provoking, challenging, comforting, and insightful and joyful discussions around God's Word and many other topics. With our being somewhat new to BRBC as well as the church and having three young boys, it's been a huge blessing to bring all these things into our home, to learn in our home, to focus on Christ with others in our home, the home we are raising our children in. Let me also thank the young ladies of our church that come help with childcare and wrangling all those children in our home. So not only are the children being raised in a home focused on Christ, but they're also learning to get the house cleaned up for guests every Thursday. That's Thursday at 7 p.m. in Summit Point for anyone who's interested. So having it at our house has allowed us some of our family, uh, sorry, having it at our house has also allowed some of our family to be more open about coming and joining in these discussions. Uh, some of our family members that are interested in discussing the word uh, and some are not. But either way, they're confronted with an essential part of our lives that they are now interested in learning more about because they're interested in us. Uh, one of the great aspects of Life Group is the weekly reminder that God is present and working. We bring our prayers each week, as well as the updates to the things that we've been praying for. Sometimes I think we are looking for those tangible aspects of God, those comforting reminders that he's working in our lives and the lives of those around us. Each week, we get to share and hear all those awesome stories about those things that we're praying for. Things like property boundary issues with neighbors, friends and family with health-related issues, our own health issues, money problems, new home challenges, struggles with neighbors, aging family members, upcoming surgeries, children, and travels. It all comes to the table, and it's all prayed for. And each week, we share updates and are reminded that God hears our prayers and provides. And for me, uh, for me personally, I get to play music with and for our group every week, and it's fun. So I'll leave everyone with a thought that was brought up to me in our life group. And at first, it had me feeling a bit sad. But after much prayer, I realized that it was because of our life group that I wouldn't have it any other way. Your relationships can only so, go so deep with someone who has not accepted Jesus perhaps ultimately superficially, but likely more temporary. And it's those brothers and sisters in Christ that you'll find your deepest and most lasting relationships, some of which I know we're developing right now in our life group. Thank you. Thank you, Dom. Lisa Bedrosian. Lisa helped spearhead our women's retreat this past year, and I asked her if she wouldn't come and just share some of the things and the ways in which she saw God at work through that. So, Lisa. 
Good morning, church family. I suspect he could have asked 55 other women and gotten a completely different story. That's the cool thing about God is that he works in each of our lives individually. So some of the ways that I saw God, I got to cheat. I can't see my page without it. Um, I saw God at work through the women's retreat, putting together a committee of women that would work together on this. We, when the first Sunday we came to Blue Ridge, the only person that we knew, and we didn't know they were here, were the Thomases. And God connected Hillary and I, and we started talking. And then on that very first Sunday, actually, we talked about the, uh, about the women that used to go to White Sulphur Springs for retreat. That is a very special place to me. That's where Hillary and I met some five years or so before then. God was already laying the groundwork. In retrospect, I can see that God was preparing that way before we even started. Meeting the quotas in a timely manner. We had to prayerfully make a commitment for how many women we thought would come. Blue Ridge hadn't done a retreat for a few years, thanks to pandemics. And so we didn't know what that would look like. God reached those numbers. He gave us the number in the first place. And each time when we needed to make putting a certain balance down or making a deposit to our account with White Sulphur Springs, God did that. I didn't have to knock on any door or twist anybody's arm. God brought the women in. The division of the small groups at the retreat, God did that. There were women on the committee that prayed over and I was praying over. We were praying over how they would be divided. God put the right groups of women together that needed to be together. One of the most exciting things for me after the retreat was the earnestness with which some of the women pursued the heart of God in Bible study as a result of having been together. I know of one group that continued to meet for weeks after online because they're all over the place and continued to be in God's word as a result of the retreat. Another woman who used to be a member here, who came back to fellowship with friends, felt God calling her to do a women's retreat at her church, which is happening in October. And she and I have been praying and connecting and communicating. God used Blue Ridge Bible Church to send her out so she can minister to her community in the Midwest somewhere. That came not because of us, but because God did that. So March 17th, 15th through the 17th in the spring, women, if you're interested in coming an next retreat, celebrating what God does. It's not what we do. God did all those things. So for me, the big takeaway was prayer. As I laid it before him, as we came before him with details, we got to watch him work, and it was incredible. So come in March, and if you want to help plan that retreat, come find me. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa, for that shameless plug. Also, that's great. Uh, next, I've got Andrew Frederick. Andrew and his wife, Ashley, both kind of up their game, so to speak, in being purposeful to be discipled this past year. And I asked him just to share some of the ways that they, he saw God work through that. Andrew. Thank you, Jack. So, good morning, church. I would like to start off by saying what a blessing this church has been to my wife and I. At this time a year ago, we had been attending here regularly, attended life groups kind of sporadically, uh, but just kind of going along with the flow of life. So last, uh, last August, we were invited to join a small discipleship group here, and we were a bit hesitant at first, but thank goodness we did. Over the past year, we, while building lifelong relationships and friendships, we learned how to actually read the Bible and to study it, as well as to incorporate the word into our daily lives and uh, share the gospel. I'm somewhat ashamed to say that uh, I didn't really read my Bible before, uh, though it had many mouths on it, riding in the pickup truck along with me everywhere I went, 
and got carried in the church every Sunday morning, but never really read or studied. I've, I've tried reading it here and there, thumbing through the pages, uh, not really knowing where to start, asking God, what verses am I supposed to read today? And never really seen the workout for me. So now understanding uh, how to read the Bible it made it much easier to read and comprehend, and I actually don't mind reading it. In fact, I actually find myself reading without having a Bible study I'm trying to catch up for in a half an hour. Uh, and this is coming from a guy who hasn't read a book since sometime in high school, maybe. So in the past year, uh, it's just great to have been seeing how God has worked in and through this church to change our lives. Uh, Ashley and I have exponentially grown in our walk with Christ, and it's been amazing to see that what happens when, as Jack would have said in the past sermons, we get our nose in the word and actually study it. So last month, Ashley and I were baptized, and after five years of testing the waters here at Blue Ridge, we finally became official members of the family. And I'm so glad to have people in this church who have been intentional about discipleship and continue to pour into Ashley and I. And we look forward to passing that on. Thank you, Andrew. Next is Gina Stobie. We had a baptism service not that long ago, and Gina shared her testimony, but there's a whole lot of you that weren't able to attend that. And so I asked Gina if she wouldn't mind coming and presenting that testimony again to all of us. So Gina, would you do that? All right, hello everyone. Now, my husband Chase, my son Paul and I, we have been coming to church for about four years, but it wasn't until recently that my journey with Christ came to fruition. Now, let's travel back in time quite a bit. I grew up in former East Germany, a country that believed everything can be controlled by a government. I also grew up in a loving home, but non-Christian, and when Christianity came up, it was explained to me as it's for people that are old, getting sick, or going through a rough time. Now, fast forward 20 years to the US, I was working in Kansas City, married to my husband, and even though we talked about Christ, I was far from it. At times, when my husband would want to pray for me, I would flat out resist it. Once we moved to Virginia, things changed quite a bit. I met one wonderful person after another, and they all had one thing in common. They were Christians. And they all started pouring into me. Subtle, not pushing, but consistently and repeatedly. And they all accepted that I wasn't a Christian. Never once did I feel like an outcast. The opposite was true. I was able to ask embarrassing, uncomfortable questions. And that was the very first time when I was wondering, is there an overarching power managing it all? Eventually, our neighbor invited us to come to Blue Ridge Bible Church. And at first, I didn't really want to come, but I liked the music. And then later on, I saw what an impact it had on my husband's life. And then I thought, well, it might be good for my son as well to continue to come to church. But still, at times I would almost sit arrogantly in church, questioning everything that Pastor Jack would say. But little by little, God did soften my heart. 
After many meaningful conversations with my husband, friends, neighbors, fellow BRBCers, volunteering at Sunday school, vacation Bible school, I really wanted to believe, but how? I started with the two-year Bible reading program, attending rich classes, and I started praying sincerely, asking God, how can I believe if I still doubt? And then I got my answer on Palm Sunday when Jack was saying, are you still dead in a tomb? Or is God opening your eyes? All you have to do is trust, and a spirit will come to you and change you. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit came to me, an overwhelming feeling and tears took a hold of me. And that kept happening for several weeks. It's almost as if God was saying, woman, wake up, I'm here, even if you are doubting. And that was the time when I put my faith into Christ. And ever since that day, I carry a lightness and a comfort with me, knowing that I don't have to carry the burden of life alone. Life is more now. And when I think back on my journey with Christ, all those years I thought it'd be good for my husband to come to church, it'd be good for my son, all along, God was also working on me. He had to provide a village of disciples, a birth, many relationships, and a door to this church to soften my heart. And what's so mesmerizing is if God exalts that much effort for just one person, it shows us how truly powerful he is and how he can change every single thing in all of our lives if we let him. You know, it's great, and Tom, why don't you go ahead and bring your team on up. We're going to close with one song. It is great to stop and to just remember what it is that God has done. And we see him in little ways working in our own lives and ways that he affects our lives, our homes, our church, our ministry. But let's not forget that he's always working, and he's doing many things. And the call for us is not to try to accumulate, to make something big, to grow something intentionally. Our call is to be faithful. As we're faithful, we've learned from the scriptures, God is the one responsible for increase. He says, I'll determine if it's 30, 60, or 100-fold. That's not your job. Your job is to be faithful. So as we're remembering the ways that God has worked in the past, that's meant to move and inspire us as we think about moving ahead. The call to be faithful, continue to walk in trust with him.